The following is a sponsored program on 100.7 FM, WHIN 1010 AM. The views, information, or opinions expressed during this program are solely those of the individuals or participants involved and do not necessarily represent those of Braden Madison Broadcasting or its employees. 100.7 FM, WHIN 1010 AM presents Sumner County Spotlight, a weekly public affairs program each Sunday morning at 10 AM. Here's your host for Sumner County Spotlight, Jeff Shannon. Well, good morning and welcome to Sumner County Spotlight. Wow, you're going to be blown away when you hear this story. This is such an amazing thing. We have an author. She wrote this book. We have plays. We have, I mean, it's incredible. Uh, I want to introduce to you Susan Hunter. Susan, thanks so much for taking it. I know how busy you are. You're on tour. You're doing all of these appearances, you know, signing autographs, shaking hands and kissing babies. Let's uh, introduce yourself. And I, I just can't wait to dig into this book. Well, thank you for that introduction, Jeff. Um, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Um, yes, my name is Susan Hunter. I'm from Situate, Massachusetts, up in the Northeast, but don't hold that against me. Uh, I've been down here in New Jersey for the past, I mean, sorry, down here in Tennessee yeah. for the past five years, and I absolutely love it. And yeah, the, some people search for a mission in their life. The reality is this mission found me and it has changed the trajectory of my life. Thank you for saying that the story is epic and uh, because I really do believe it is and I do believe it's a, the Lord's appointment mm-hmm. and I'm just a workhorse and a conduit to bring his peace. Well, as we get into this, uh, you folks, you're going to see that this could be a movie. Without a doubt. Now, no question. I mean, this has so many integral parts and so much emotion. I think people can attach to that. They can relate to a lot of this, especially if you were back in this era. So tell us how this all came about. And we're talking about the book, 77 Letters. Now, look, you got to get the book. Read this thing from front to back because it's it's just incredible. So tell a little bit uh, of history and how this all got started. Yeah, so it did happen. Uh, started 56 years ago, uh, 1966. We were in the throes of the Vietnam War, and my mother was fixated on a news segment that was covering the day in the life of the first calf over in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And it was mail call that happened to be on the on the segment. And she was fixated on the soldiers' eyes. These are young men just out of high school. Even some were 17 that just got permission to go in. So these were young men and their eyes were so filled with anticipation, hoping to get mail. But then when they didn't get mail, they were filled with dejection and, mm. and, and sadness. So my mom was fixated on those eyes and she couldn't get to sleep that night. And she just thought, I need to do something. Now, she couldn't do too much because she was a stay-at-home mom with four children and a one-car family. She couldn't really leave the home during the day. So what she thought is I could be a pen pal for these young men and just keep them company and give them a respite from the jungle. And so the very next morning, she sat at her typewriter and started pumping out some generic letters to the commanding officers. And in that letter, she would say, I'm on a mission to ensure every GI gets mail at every mail call. Wow. Uh, please, yeah, please give this other generic letter to whatever soldier did not get mail today. See, this is back when we used to actually write letters. Absolutely. Or you had a typewriter. <laughs> yeah, a typewriter, right, with no backs, with no, you know, back space or copy and paste. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah It's extraordinary. And yeah. uh, so she started this writing campaign that she called Operation Morale Booster, because that's what she wanted to do mm-hmm. is boost the morale. And uh, she personally wrote to 40 soldiers during the seven years of that war. But she was responsible for thousands of letters and packages getting over because she got the schools involved, the Cub Scouts, the church, and really started this movement in Situate, Massachusetts, right. a small coastal town in between Boston and Cape Cod. And so this la- this lasted the seven years of that war from 66 to 72. And these letters were up in our attic for many years and we'd hear about them from time to time and we heard about one particular soldier bob johnson who actually came to visit us on one of his stateside leaves really yeah and so we didn't have any military in our family so we kind of adopted him as our family and so we would talk fondly about him throughout our lives. But for me, I mean, I was only 18 months old when he came to visit, so I really didn't know him. <laughs> and my sibling's not that much older. They're four, five, and six years older than mm. I am. And um, so anyway, uh, we heard about these letters, but we had never seen them. My mom always said, oh, it's just, they're, they're somewhere in the house in a manila envelope. And it wasn't until many years later, after my dad had passed, I was up cleaning out the attic so my mom wouldn't have to go up in the attic. And I came across this treasure trove of letters and there were two envelopes, two manila envelopes, 
labeled Operation Morale Booster Vietnam. One envelope was completely destroyed from water over the years. The other one right next to it was in pristine condition. And so I took these down and said, Mom, you know, let me keep this in safekeeping. I know these mean a lot to you. And that's what I did, the envelope that was in pristine condition. And I kept them over the years. And, and it wasn't until recently moving here to Tennessee that I had my mom come live with me because she's suffering from dementia mm-hmm. and living at home by herself is not a, a good option. Right, right. Um, so I had her come live with me while we found a place for her to stay. I thought, I was very naive at the time, I thought I could rally her long-term memory and reverse the signs of dementia. Yeah. And so I thought, let me go get those letters from Operation morale booster and I did and we started going through them and first thing I did is we we stacked them all so I had six from this soldier and eight from this soldier but I had 77 letters just from Bob Johnson now where was he from he he's from well he was from Philadelphia okay yeah Yeah. and um and so I thought oh wow this is 77 letters and my mom had the wherewithal to attach her carbon copy responses to each of the incoming letters so I have a dialogue with these hundreds of letters wow So it's really an exceptional insight into the Vietnam War, the real human aspect of the Vietnam War, which, you know, all things considered, we know very little about the war because they were shamed into silence. So even those who recall what happened back in the day, it's 50 years past or even more. Mm-hmm. So so memory has faded. Well, this is an account of the war in real time because we're listening to their thoughts as the days pass. And so I said, mom, the, each letter was as riveting as the last. She did have portals of recall, which were giving me hope with the dementia. Okay, yeah. And and that also was fabulous because it allowed me to really write a, an accurate narrative of what mm-hmm. went on. Now, let me ask you this. Over the years, was she able to kind of relate to you before you know, the memory loss started happening, relate to you the impact that this had on her. You know, um, she really didn't. She downplayed it. She would yeah. always kind of bill it as, oh, it's just fluff. We just kept each other company, or I kept them company, yeah, really. Yeah. Um, didn't really talk about the gravity of the letters. Yeah. And and yeah. we did hear about his visit, but oftentimes she would mention his visit because we had a very tense moment in her life down in Plymouth Plantation where, where she took him for some sightseeing of the South Shore. So we did hear about that one particular incident, but she really downplayed this whole mission of hers. Do you have pictures of him in the book? I do have pictures of him. Okay. And, I, and I should point out, thank you for your radio listeners, <laughs> um, to make things even more extraordinary. This was back in the 60s and my, I'm white, my family's white and Bob Johnson's black. And so that was not mainstream. That was not, mm-hmm. that, that was a thing. Let's put mm-hmm. it that way. Yeah, that was a thing back in the 60s. But it wasn't to my family. It wasn't to my parents. But that does add an added element sure. that I think we have a lot to learn from. And even some of her letters, I'm glad you asked, because some of her letters really made me understand for the first time how things were back in the 60s. Oh, yeah, it was it was pretty t- turbulent, let's just say that. <laughs> yeah, and and I, and I'm gonna I'll share this with your listeners. And this was a tough thing for me to read. I, I really had a pit in my stomach when I was reading my mom's letters to Bob. But I, just to give you an idea of how far we've come, back in '66, she wrote a letter to Bob, and she said, and she's the sweetest thing, and obviously she doesn't have a precious bone in her body, but she says in her letter. Bob, you'll be happy to know that the networks now are dedicating five hours a week to educating us about the black community. What? Exactly. So when I read that, for one, I got a pit in my stomach yeah, reading it. Yeah. But then I asked my mother, I said, what? What do you mean we had to be educated? You know, I thought this was so far before me. Mm-hmm. And so she kind of expounded on that and said, oh, yeah, no, no, no. This is where we were back then. And But look at where we are now. 66, we're, we're having to be educated. And now there's not a job in this country you can't get because of the color of your skin. Mm-hmm. So we have come a long way. Are we a perfect nation? No, but we never will be. We're made up of 320 million imperfect human beings. Are we always striving more, to be better? And a bunch more that are undocumented. But anyway, that's, right, that's right, a different right, story. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's a good point. <laughs> but yeah, so we have come an awful long way. We have a lot to be proud of. We were a baby of the bunch as far as a nation. And we were one of the very first to say, you know, put an ixnay to this whole discrimination and slavery. You know, if you want to go back a couple hundred years. And you look back on this and you go, how archaic were we? When you look back and so everybody's a human being, you know, so it it just blows my mind when I see that. And, you know, my daughter and some we adopted and they're kind of biracial and they're at the point now where there's 
15, 17, that they look back on that and, and, and just they don't understand how that even happened. We are progressing. We're moving along with this. And hopefully, I mean, things are getting better. And we just have to keep you know, trying to be better and, yeah, and just love everybody. And love everybody. And that's one of the things I think is a beautiful uh, aspect of the story. Both my mom and Bob Johnson, they just loved each other mm-hmm. because we're humans. You know, my mom saw a need. I'm going to keep them company. And Bob gave my mom a sense of purpose. I call them spiritual soulmates because even though they have vastly different backgrounds, mm-hmm. they were bonded in their faith, their belief in God and the master plan that he has for all of us. And they just loved each other because they loved humanity. But there's a there's a beautiful element. So yep, my mom and Bob are on the cover of the book, 77 Letters, Operation Morale Booster Vietnam. Because those are the two that I focus on. They, I have 77 letters from him, her responses. That's the relationship that it became like a family. It became like a family sure. love. Seven years of corresponding. Think of that. Even just corresponding to somebody for seven years, this diligently. And so their their relationship is certainly special. And that's why it's showcased in this book. But I do have a couple letters from the other soldiers included as well. The beauty is, so you, you see my mom's white, Bob's black. You think that's the big transformation. That's the big story. Mm-hmm. And that's not. So there's a beauty. And I'm going to give you a little nugget that some people miss out on. And I really don't want the readers to, to miss out on this. In the story, during the war, during the seven years because Bob had four tours in Vietnam. Wow. Four tours. Who goes back four <laughs> times or goes back three times? Now, what rank was he? He ended up at uh, Staff Sergeant. Okay. All right. Great. Uh, but he was Special Forces, so he okay. was a, a paratrooper. Mm-hmm. Uh, he ended up after, after Vietnam becoming a Green Beret. And um, wow. so he was legit. He was infantry. He was down there in the front lines. He had to do hand-to-hand combat. He also, at times, he ran up on a machine gun. And, and how tall is he? Five uh, ten. Oh, okay. So he's not huge, but right. you know the Vietnamese were little little folks. Right. So, right. so he yeah he he had a, a nice presence uh, and he was fit. I mean he was yeah. a rock. But anyway, so the the gem in the story that I I don't want readers to miss out is is the transformation of Bob's feelings. During the war, he meets he, he gets assigned to Korea. He writes to my mom saying, oh, this is the worst assignment ever. I hate these people with the purple passion. Uh, yeah. and, and the reason he's assigned to go there during the Vietnam War is he was wounded from head to toe, burned, and he wasn't well enough to go back to the front line. So they said, okay, you know what? We feel tensions are rising in, in Korea. Why don't you go there for a bit to train the younger folks that are coming in? So that's why he's assi- assigned there. He is miserable. He hates this assignment because he hates the Korean people. So he thinks. But now, now at this point in the, in the book, you like Bob. You, are, you know enough about him that you like him. And you also understand why he doesn't like the Koreans in his mind. You don't like the fact that he doesn't, but you understand it because all he knows of the Koreans is the Korean War. And he was assigned there. He was assigned there afterward. And... Uh, and he probably didn't have many good experiences there. Well, you know, and I think you told me about this before, but I, I want to go on with this. We're going to take a, just a quick break, and we're going to find out why Bob ended up liking the Korean people. That's right here on Sumner County Spotlight. Stand by. Thanks for listening to Summer County Spotlight. Be sure to check out our podcast page at whinradio.com. Just go to the podcast tab and click the Summer County Spotlight. There you can check out this show as well as our past episodes. This is Jeff Shannon. Hey, let's get right back to the show. Hey, welcome back to Sumner County Spotlight on this uh, Sunday morning. Uh, Jeff Shannon here as your host. I'm so honored to have Susan Hunter in here. Look, we've been talking about the book 77 Letters, and it's such a powerful look at what was going on back in the 60s, early 70s with the Vietnam War. And you've got to pick up this book and read it because you, you won't be able to stop. I mean, that's, that's how engaged you're going to be with this. But we were talking about one of the main characters here, and, and Bob was transferred to Korea. Yeah, he's being assigned to Korea. Did not like the Korean people. So let's pick up from there. Yeah, sure. So he, he gets the assignment. He is very upset about it because all he remembers is how he was treated after the Korean War when he was assigned there, and, and, and he wasn't treated so well. So he has an imprint of mm-hmm. negativity toward the Korean people. However, he goes because you go where the Army mm-hmm. tells you to go. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yep. And and about two months later, he writes to my mom again, applauding the Korean people, loving on them, and saying, you know, Joan, they're just like us. They want the same things we do. and. And, you know, they may eat different food and have different, you know, traditions, but they're just like us. I really have come to love these people. And, and I bet you, you probably see the smile come on her face when she was reading that. 
Oh, without a doubt. Because you, you, for one, you hate to hear, hear anybody say anything so negative oh, yeah, toward yeah. any population of people. But I, I'm sure my mom had an understanding heart and knew that he'd, he'd come around. But anyway, so he, he did fall in love with the people and he actually ended up finding love in Korea. And, and that's another beautiful jaw-dropping story and what evolved from that love. So I don't want to give too much away for your listeners. But so this has a, a very deep component of, you know, racial harmony and how far we've come and even just a learning on, you know, tr- transforming from being someone who has biases to someone who can embrace those he had uh, prejudice against. Mm-hmm. So it, that's the beauty in this story. People think it's all about my mom and Bob, but no, they didn't have any biases toward each other from the get-go. The transformation and the learning element is from Bob's encounter with, you know, the Koreans. Sure. So that's a beautiful thing. But aside from that, because that was actually a, a side story. In fact, when I first came across these letters and said, this needs to be shared with the masses, it really had nothing to do with the racial element. That Sometimes I even forgot to tell people when I was telling the story that my mom's white and Bob's black and there's a mm-hmm. whole element yeah. there. It was really about the uh, restoring honor to our Vietnam veterans. And this story, when you are in the heads of this soldier in particular, who really has the ebbs and flows of his psyche during that war, you get to understand what our soldiers had to endure and then what they came home to and and everything. It really talks more about, mostly about the time he spent in Vietnam. This is a story, uh, just to drop a few names, I've been blessed with a few really substantial mentors in this industry. One of them being Tab Murphy. He's one of the most prolific screenwriters in Hollywood. He's written a tremendous amount of Disney's movies like Hunchback of Notre Dame, Brother Bear, Atlantis, Gorillas in the Mist, uh, and a whole bunch of others. He said to me, Susan, writers search a lifetime for a story like this. This story found you, and now it's your job not to screw it up. And uh, of course, so I said, okay, thank you for that pressure. So (laughs) I I am on a mission to make sure this is portrayed in different formats and really glorify all the people who are in it and and bring honor back to our Vietnam veterans, where it's always been due. And uh, while you were just talking, this had all this story and putting it all together. In fact, when it finally all came together, this had to impact your life greatly. I mean, it changed your life. Without a doubt. just feel it It, it, when you talk about it you know how we're honoring our veterans and you know we got veterans day upon us and we we celebrate these these folks that some gave all and it's impressive that you're bringing this forward like this but what was one of the i guess the major impacts that it had on your life when you sit back and look on it now well you're absolutely right it it totally changed the trajectory of my life prior to discovering these letters i knew nothing about the vietnam war Mm -hmm. It wasn't taught in school. People don't talk about it. There really weren't many books at the time about the Vietnam War. And of course, our soldiers were shamed. Our returning soldiers were shamed into silence. And and many of them to this day have not spoken a word about their time in Vietnam. And, uh, and, I, and I think that's our real stain in our country right. is how we treated them when they returned. So I had to learn every, you know, everything about the Vietnam War, especially from the human aspect of it, the human domain. And so I immersed myself on every article, every movie, all the things. And then I fortunately was embraced by a Vietnam veteran community. And, and I don't take that lightly because they are very close to the chest because they've been burned many times. So I am honored that they have. And as a result of this first group here in Tennessee and Alabama, embracing me and welcoming in to join them for their monthly coffees and lunches across the country now i've been embraced by vietnam veteran communities and it actually changed you know, the direction I, I i had from the success of this book and the healing that's come from this book and all the emails that i get every week i get you know at least an email a day from a reader mm-hmm. talking about the healing that they got from it and the, the gratitude for, for writing it and whatnot, and for my mom even having the writing campaign. It spawned into me actually traveling the country, interviewing Vietnam veterans, their family members, Gold Star family members, South Vietnamese, uh, even a North Vietnamese, mm-hmm. just to get all perspectives of war, which is the human cost in war. And, and that's been wonderful. And so now I'm kind of like, this is my niche. <laughs> I actually was even invited to speak at a celebration of life of a gentleman I had never met before, but he was a World War II hero, like legit 
hit hero, saved mm. 35 people. But he also had a role in the Vietnam War. He was more into the pacification aspect of the Vietnam War. And so they actually called me in to speak at his celebration of life on his role in the Vietnam War. So I'm kind of developing this niche that mm-hmm. you know, my heart is is with these Vietnam veterans and they know it. And you, you've probably been embraced by our good buddy David Mumi over here at the VFW Post in Hendersonville. And Without a doubt, he's He does wonderful. so many great things for, for, for the veterans and uh, with his parade and, you know, the food pantry that he does. So they're doing really great things. And you're you're coming in here and, and just impacting their lives even more. So that's a great thing. So how was it that, that it came about that, hey, let's make a stage play out of this? Well, I can't even take credit for that idea. <laughs> that was a, I give credit to Jeff Arch, another one of my mentors I'm blessed with. He's the writer of the iconic rom-com Sleepless in Seattle. And he knows my book and, and he said, this has the potential of uh, hitting that, hits the sweet spot of being highly commercial and deeply emotional. Right. And he said, however, after your book, before it gets to film, I see this on stage. He compared it to Love Letters of the 19, late 1980s. And he says, I think this is going to be wildly successful on stage as well because you can bring in A-list actors to participate because there's mostly letter reading mm-hmm. and then some, you know, added in acting and lines and all that to thread it all together. He gave me an assignment to visualize it up on a marquee, yeah. 77 letters. And on so, Broadway. Yeah, Broadway. He said, start small. He said, start with the local and then move it up. So I've done that. And so I was on a journey to find a a director and I wanted to keep it Nashville centric. Mm -hmm. So I was going to all the different plays around town and, um, I, I went to It's a Wonderful Life put on by Actors Point Theater yeah. and I was so excited to see because it's one of my favorite all time movies mm-hmm. I was so impressed with how the director portrayed it he was so creative but also kept it minimal so that right. the story was the focus and, and who, would, who who might that director that be that director Let's, is Let's guess. Is Greg Wilson of from Actors Point Theater. Yes. Everybody knows. He's like, I think he could be the mayor of Sumner <laughs> County. Could. He's just so popular. So, yeah. So, I went up to Greg after the show and I introduced myself and I asked him if he's also a playwright. And he said, yes, he's written a few himself. And so, I handed him my book and I said, I would like to bring this to stage. I'd like you to take, take a read and see what you think. And he said, okay. And and quite honestly, I think before the stage was cleared, he already was perusing the, the book because he was so engaged with the cover and he called me two days later and said I'm halfway done I'm already in I already know how I wanted to start <laughs> and so you know I laughed because I love the enthusiasm and I was thrilled because I thought it was a good fit uh, I said okay we'll finish the book and I was on a road trip at the time and um, I said when I get back let's meet for coffee and discuss and so from that time on we've met at the local coffee shops cave and stomping grounds mm-hmm. for uh, two hours a week and for the past 18 months we've just chipped away at it and and yeah. here we are yeah wow you know greg's very passionate about this and he came to me i guess right probably right after he met you and started telling me the story and you can just see the excitement in his voice and and how passionate he was about this 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 story it just kind of grows on you but as you dig into this book and you start feeling it and understanding the characters and the people involved in this and especially if you were in that time period you know what i mean i think it's going to attach to you even more but even if you weren't you can relate to this because of just our relationships that we're seeing here but seeing it on stage live in front of you that's got to be exciting to you yeah, and, and he has some very creative things planned, um, so it's going to be fast-moving. Uh, we're being very sensitive to the fact that we don't want to have any triggers, so we're keeping it low on the, you know, there's no flashing lights, and mm-hmm. it's not going to be anything, we hope, we not going to be anything that's going to have any triggers for anybody. Yep. It's very sensitive, and it's a beautiful, beautiful story. And... From what I understand, we're inviting veterans to the plays. There's two performances, and that's coming up on November 18th and 19th. And this is going to be over the Cornerstone Church. Is this going to be here in Hendersonville? Where I know there was, we're kind of debating where we're going, but we'll get to that. But you'll you'll see it on Facebook. Uh, you'll see when that's revealed and where it is. But you got to get tickets to this uh, play. But we are inviting veterans to attend at no charge. Yes. So wow. you can you can find out more about this and, and purchase tickets at actorspointtheater.com. Okay. So actorspointtheater.com. And yes, it is free to all Vietnam veterans and their guests. Wow. Um, that's how powerful <laughs> this is. And that's how much we want to treat them and bring honor to them. We have a few surprises for them um, when they do attend. So there is a special code to get those free tickets. So you can email me if you are a Vietnam veteran or a widow of a Vietnam veteran, please email me at susanhunterauthor 
at gmail.com susanhunterauthor at gmail.com and I will uh, shoot you back the codes and also it's, it is discounted for all other active military okay. and all other veterans okay. also email me for the, for the code yeah, that's great. My daughter's in the Army. She's uh, stationed over Camp Lejeune, a Marine base. She she does veterinary stuff. So I, I just wish she would be in town to come and see this because uh, I'm just wondering how she would, you know, being a new soldier versus being back when it was that crazy, you know? So. Right. Well, I think she'd get something out of it because just like in any profession, but especially with our military, we stand on the shoulders of those who walked before us. And I think she would have some uh, a different viewpoint or, or thinking on our Vietnam veterans. I've heard some... Some letters that I get from readers, they've said just that. I wasn't a Vietnam veteran. I was, you know, later on, but now I think of them differently. Yeah. And so I, I, I think it's important for all veterans to attend because, I mean, combat, combat is combat. Mm-hmm. Whether it's Vietnam or the Gulf or, or the World yeah. War II, it's combat. Yeah. And they come back different. And so it's important for us to understand and and honor them because what they have put themselves in the position and well, Vietnam in particular, some of them didn't volunteer to go. They were drafted. Mm, they didn't have right. a choice. That's right. Uh, yeah. Or not a good choice. Jail's not a good choice. <laughs> yeah, or well, it's it's an incredible uh, undertaking, and you know I applaud you for doing that because it's just an amazing amount of information you were able to compile, which I couldn't even know where you began. You know, starting to write this book, but it, it's it, you know, tremendous, and the impact that it's had on people has to just make your heart feel good. Oh, without a doubt, it's been the fuel that keeps me going. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, so David Kirkpatrick. I'll drop one more name. Uh, he was president of Paramount Pictures for most of his career. Now he's retired and he's giving back to the next sea of writers. He called me when he saw on Facebook that I was going to self-publish. He called me and said, Susan, this is too big of a story. You got to go with the big five. And I said, okay, David, you open the door for me. I'll walk through any door you open. And so he was going to do that. He was gracious enough to do that. But what it looked like is it wasn't going to be published until third quarter of 2022. That's this quarter. Yeah. So two years ago, I was able to get this out. And all the healing that's come from that, you know, has been made it well worth it and God's opening doors so yeah, no well you're doing a great thing and again we're talking about 77 letters it's based on a true story this is going to be a stage play now from the book ad- adaptation <laughs> of it on November 18th and 19th just head over to actresspointtheater.com and you get all the information right there I'm sure so Susan Hunter thank you thank you thank well, you thank for you. Uh, all your hard work on this keep doing what you're doing and we appreciate you you're so sweet thank you very much for having me All right, that's going to wrap up this segment, and we'll be right back with more of Sumner County Spotlight. Thanks for listening to Sumner County Spotlight. Be sure to check out our podcast page at whinradio.com. Just go to the podcast tab and click the Sumner County Spotlight. There you can check out this show as well as our past episodes. This is Jeff Shannon. Hey, let's get right back to the show. All right, here we are at Sumner County Spotlight with your host, Jeff Shannon. We have another guest in our studio. Now, I got to tell you, this is going to be a fun interview. Tons of great information that's coming to you because we bring in none other than Chris Dyer right here in Gallatin. Chris, hey, welcome to the show. Pull that mic a little closer to you and welcome. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate it very much. So you're involved in a lot of things, and we're going to talk about uh, what's coming up that you have in store for everybody here yes, in, sir. In, in, in the Gallatin area and Sumner County. People are going to come from everywhere, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> I hope so. We've, so uh, give us a little background. Okay. This will be our fourth year. It's Gallatin Comic Con. We have it at the Epic Center because it's really the only place we have in Gallatin to do it. Really look forward to it. It's got bigger and bigger every year. It's, it's, it's kind of exciting. We've got like 100 tables of vendors. We've got, of course, the Leave it to Beaver reunion. We had Jerry and Tony in last year, mm-hmm. and sadly, Tony passed away. But his wife, it was a, he, our show was the last show he ever did. Wow. And uh, yeah. this is kind of a, to me, a, a very big compliment. His wife and the agent told me, Tony's wife, Lauren and the agent had told me that Tony had told him that he wasn't going to do any more shows. In February, he was scheduled to go to the Hollywood show. Mm-hmm. And he said, I just don't feel like it. So he called his agent and said, don't book me at any more shows. I'm just, my health is just not, yeah. my health is failing. He didn't feel good last year when he came. Mm-hmm. But she said, uh, she said, well, what about Galton? He said, well, we've got to do Galton. They were too good to us. So to me, that was the <laughs> ultimate compliment. Absolutely. Was, we were his last show and we were going to be his last show he ever done. So wow. that 
they were blown away by the people. They had a line for six and a half hours to get their autograph. Serious. The, the biggest, I don't know how to put this in any other way, but they, they said it was the biggest show money-wise for them they'd ever done. Wow. It was just a one-day show. So this year we've made it two days. Okay. November 19th and 20th. It's 10 bucks to get in, free parking. The way I look at it, the reason we don't do it in Nashville, obviously, is because it's Galton Comic-Con, but we could go to Nashville, you know, get a bigger venue. Yep. But the thing about it is, the people have to pay thirty dollars to park. We'd have to charge to rent a space this big. We'd have to charge thirty or forty bucks to get in. I just don't want to do that. I yeah. mean, now this got, is going to be an epic event center. Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, good. sir. All right. You know, a family of four and come in for forty bucks and not have to pay to park. If they went to Nashville, they'd pay thirty dollars to park, thirty dollars piece to mm. get in. That limits you what sure. what you can buy. So I've tried to make it friendly for everybody, dealers wise and guest wise, because I want the guests to make money. I want everybody to make money. Sure. I, we started out wanting to do this show, but we're not doing it to make money. Uh, and that's God's honest truth. We, we're doing it because we love this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I grew up on Leave It to Beaver. I'm sure we all did. Yeah. It ended in 1961. It originally went to uh, reruns. So it's been on you know now for 60 years. I mean, yeah. it's, it's crazy to think about that. Yeah. How many generations have watched Leave It to Beaver as they grew up? And I mean, there's people still watch it today. I mean, I do. And I was ecstatic when we uh, got him in last year. Like I said, unfortunately, Tony passed away. Fantastic person. I'm telling you, he was the most genuine, down-to-earth, nice guy you've ever met in your mm-hmm. life. I can't say enough good things about him. They were excited. We had a good time. And that night, this is this is kind of a behind-the-scenes story, and I've got a bunch of them, but that night, Tony Dowd and his wife had a friend that picked them up, and they took them out to dinner. My wife, Tammy, and I, and Jerry and his wife, we went to eat, and we're sitting there talking. And I said, Jerry, have you ever done a Leave it to Beaver reunion? And he looked at me, and he said, no. I said, well, how come? He said, well, I don't think I've ever found a place that we can do it. And he looks at me and he grins and I said, but I think we have now. <laughs> and to me, that was the ultimate compliment. Sure. So we literally start, we, we agreed upon it then, or what we was going to do, you know, a reunion, bring as many of the cast as we can. So you've got to understand, these, most of these people, they're in their, their mid to late 70s. You know, at that time, you have health problems. It, yes. just, it just happens. Yeah, different it's, time. <laughs> yes. And so many of them live out in California. But it, it's really cool. But we've literally started working on it from day one. After that show, we immediately started working on the reunion. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're so excited. Of course, like I say, we're, we're doing it in memory of Tony Dow. And that's not a morbid thing. It's like a celebration of sure. life. Yep. Uh, his wife is a, is such a sweet, sweet lady. If you didn't get to meet her last year, you'll get to meet her this year. She's going to be there. Of course, Jerry will be there. Veronica Cartwright, she is, uh, you may know the name, but she was uh, uh, She was the, the little girl in The Birds, Alfred Hitchcock, The mm-hmm. Birds Inside the House. Yeah. She was also in Aliens. She was in we- Witches of Eastwick. She's done, she, her career is endless. She's done so many movies. She's doing a movie right now. She's had to take off to come in oh, to wow. do our show. Yeah, I, I was very flattered. That was so cool. Very sweet lady. And it was kind of funny how, uh, how it worked out. But but we got her We got her to come. We're, we're we were excited. Tiger Ferrari, he was Tooney on the show, was one of Beaver's friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, Richard, he was one of Beaver's friends. He has the world's largest collection memorabilia of horror movie movie props. That's Richard Carell? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Richard Carell. He is uh, a super, super nice guy, and I'm excited to see him. Pamela Bird, she was uh, Tony's girlfriend, Mary Ellen Rogers. She's never done a show. There's four of these people on here. I can't say who, but they've told me point blank this will be the last show they ever do. Wow. Everybody's saying, hey, let's, why don't you bring it to our town all over the United States? There's not a town in this United States that wouldn't welcome a Leave it to be reunion sure. because of all the people it's going to bring in. So what ever happened to Eddie Haskell? Eddie died back in the 80s. <laughs> That's what I thought. I, I yeah, know he had passed me Jerry, away. Me and Jerry talked a lot. We took him out to eat. after the, Our show last year was just a uh, Saturday show. So Sunday and Monday, we, we run around with it, took him out. And he said that Eddie Eddie was typecast as Eddie Haskell from then on. So he was sure. he was kind of like Burt Lyons in, in the, from Wizard of Oz. You know, yeah. He couldn't do anything. Oh, you're So he was Eddie Haskell. So he couldn't get a lot of acting jobs. Mm-hmm. So he uh, became a police officer out in wow. California. Okay. And uh, sadly, he got pulled. He was pulling over a speeder, and the guy had stole the car. This was back in the 80s. And he shot Eddie three times. Oh, jeez. He lived through it, but he, he always suffered from it. And he mm. died of cancer back in the 80s. Wow. I'm not exactly what year. Lumpy was the same way. Mm-hmm. Not far as far. But I mean, Lumpy passed away in the 80s also. He was, uh, you know, everybody always thought he was the not the smart one, but he wound up being a financial advisor and helped tons of actors 
and actresses, you know, saved their money so they wouldn't be broke. But apparently Lumpy was very, very, very smart and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, helped a lot of people. He told Jerry and Tony both, we, they enjoyed talking about it. To me, the biggest telling thing about how they were at our show last year, about 12 o'clock, we asked them what they wanted. We went to uh, a restaurant and got them some hamburgers and stuff. That's what they wanted, hamburgers, fries, and Cokes, <laughs> milkshakes and stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. So we pick them up. We bring them back to them. We had a little green room made for them where they could go in and eat. Tony gets up. He's headed in there. Jerry gets up, and he looks at the line. He says, I can't eat with all these people waiting for me. I said, Jerry, they won't care if you take a 20, 30-minute break and get you something to eat. He said, I can't eat these people standing here waiting <laughs> on me. So he sat back down for six and a half hours. That is he never amazing. ate anything. He never – now, I think he drank a bottle of water or two, but he didn't even leave his table. I don't know how they done it. I mean, mm-hmm. I can't imagine being 74-year-old and sitting there for six and a half hours and signing autographs. But he, he, he loved the people. And Tony was – I mean, Tony was the same way. Yeah. When I when I picked him up at the airport that night, I asked him, I said, guys, what do y'all do? Because that was, was questioning. What do y'all do when people come up and they want to talk, you know, for 30 minutes and you've got a line a mile long about how their favorite episode and stuff. Mm-hmm. And the wives say, well, we – we kind of uh, politely tell them, usher them out of the way until we got more people waiting. And Tony spoke up. He said, well, that's what I like about doing these shows. He was a people person. Mm-hmm. You you loved him the minute you met him. You could see the California boy in him. I don't know if you've read any of his books or not, but he was uh, he never wanted to be an actor. He wanted to be a Olympic swimmer and a diver. He, again, he was typecast as Beaver's brother. Wally, so he couldn't. He didn't do a whole lot. He done a few things. Mm-hmm. So he he eventually got behind the camera and uh, did some seasons of Babylon Five, directed and produced. Uh, very smart man, very well loved, and yeah. he was also a sculptor. That's amazing. He, you know, we're talking with Chris Dyer, and he's the owner of the Gallatin Comic Con, and you also own Town Square Records. Yes, sir. Now yes, sir. you've been there quite some yeah, time. It'll be, it'll be five years in February. It started out to be mine and my wife's retirement. Uh, retire, <laughs> Wait a retirement minute, what's that? Fun. <laughs> <laughs> you in, not make it, but it, it's turned out to be a bigger job. You know, it's a job. We love it, though. I'll be honest with you. you know, we've really. We've been there five years. We've really not worked a day in, our, a day in the five years because we, we enjoy it. I've been collecting comics since I'm six years old. I crawled up in my grandmother's attic when I was six and found my dad's comics, and I've been doing it ever since. Wow. I done my first show in Atlanta when I was 11 years old, and they called me the kid. Now I'm one, now I'm the oldest dealer in the room. You know I'm the old man now. Right. But I've been doing it all along. So you have comics and records. Yes, down oh, yeah. there. Yeah. So it's great that vinyl's making a resurgence, right? Vinyl is huge. And tell them that that you gave me that stat that I thought was impressive. Yes. It's, I call it a 30 year uh, cycle. And what happens is when people get 30 years old, they remember the things that they had when they were a kid. They're on their own. They're married more than likely and they're, they're, they're working and they're making they've got accessible income so they buy the stuff that they liked when they were a kid be it records comics Star Wars toys Star Trek toys you know the things that they liked and girls do the same thing mm-hmm. and, or they'll, they'll buy stuff that they remember their parents listening having a Rolling Stones album or a Janis Joplin album or whatever you know or, or even George Strait or whatever and they, they kind of relate to it music is kind of like a time machine you can re, you know you can hear a song and you can remember where you were at the first time you ever heard it I don't know if y'all are that way I, I know I am and, and people they'll come in and they'll say well I had that record that record that record you know when I was a kid and, and, and it's still good music you know I think today's music don't take us the wrong way I just don't know that if in 50 years they'll still be playing some of the stuff that they're playing now. Yeah, yeah. But I really believe that Leonard Skinner and the Rolling Stones and ZZ Top and, and things like that will be still being played. And the Beatles, too. And oh, definitely the Beatles. Well, let me, let me tell you something. It's going to turn your stomach. So I remember, and I had the Beatles' Hard Day's Night yeah. album. Yeah. Okay? Great album. There at the in the neighborhood, I remember taking that album and throwing it like a Frisbee wow. down the street. Yeah. And now I look back on it and I said, what? Yeah. My yeah. mind was, you idiot. Yeah. <laughs> You're a kid, I, you know. You I hear stuff like that all the time. <laughs> I, I, they say I moved away and my mom threw my whole box of records away, you know, and stuff. And Or I went to the Army or I moved out and got married. But think about it, though. I'm 57. But that's all we had when we were kids. I mean, mm-hmm. My first car had an A-track. And then when I got a cassette, I thought, boy, I've got it made. <laughs> but I had records at home. You know, I mean, I remember, I remember buying a meatloaf bat out of hell and turned around and had to buy it in eight track and when i got a yeah. cassette player i bought then it cassette. cassette you know then or, cd yeah <laughs> then, then cds you know later on but 
music takes you back. You hear that popping and sound mm-hmm. of a, when, a, when a record's put on a needle. It, it's just a literally, it's like a time machine. It is. It's it's, it's priceless. Well, in fact, I think my daughter this year uh, for Christmas has requested a record player. Oh yeah, we yeah, they yeah, them on Amazon. They got it's, these. It's you know. a big thing. <laughs> yeah, and the thing about you, I mean, for fifty or sixty bucks, you can buy buy one to see if you like it, see if mm-hmm. you enjoy it. It's a great hobby. I mean, they have record shows. Then you head down to Town Square Records and buy some buy you some sure vinyl. Can. We, Absolutely, we try to have something for everybody. Where do you, our, now, where's that located? We are on the Square in Galton. Okay. Uh, we are two doors down from Sweeney Swift, if you okay. know where that's at, everybody. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a busy little restaurant. It's a great restaurant, too. But yeah. we, uh, we're we fortunate. We've got a great following. Uh, it, we're open seven days a week. I, I figure if we're going to pay rent on the building, we might as well try to make some money and keep people happy. Sure. Hey, we're talking with Chris Dyer now. we got Gallatin Comic Con coming up uh, November 19th and 20th, so it's real quick now. And we have Lever to Beaver reunion. And speaking of that, Chris, we're having Jerry Mathers. We're going to be talking with him on the next segment. Good so, deal. Yeah, Good we'll, deal. we're going to find out what Jerry's doing these days. Oh, and, he's got uh, some great stories. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> he's got can't some wait. great stories. And it's, it's going to be great. So we're going to take a break right now. We're going to get ready for Jerry. We'll be right back with more of Sumner County Spotlight. Thanks for listening to Summer County Spotlight. Be sure to check out our podcast page at whinradio.com. Just go to the podcast tab and click the Summer County Spotlight. There you can check out this show as well as our past episodes. This is Jeff Shannon. Hey, let's get right back to the show. And we're back here with Sumner County Spotlight, your host, Jeff Shannon, uh, on the radio here on this Sunday morning. Now, I've got a special guest in the studio. Now, we, we talked with uh, Chris Dyer here earlier about the Gallatin Comic Con, and we have a special guest that's going to be appearing there. And, of course, you know him as Jerry Mathers, the Beaver. And, Jerry, thank you so much for taking time to, to visit with us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. You know, you've had such a, a long career in the business, because you're only 39. Laughter, laughter. <laughs> I just did. I didn't want to embarrass you by saying, well, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I'm close to you, though. So, <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I mean, you spent a lot of years in the business. And, you know, back then, I mean, the business was a lot different. You know, how did you get started in all of that? Well, my mom was working and my dad was working, but they went out to buy me some new clothes. And they were walking through a department store in the children's department. And a lady came up to her and said, is that your, is that your little boy? And my mom said, what, whatever he brought. No, I'll pay for it. And the lady said, no, but I noticed you were trying some of the outfits on, and they fit him perfectly. And I was wondering if he could be a model in our fashion show that we have, like, I don't know, every probably twice a month or maybe once a month. I don't really know because I can't remember that far back. And my mom said, well, I don't know. This is a big city. What kind of, a, you know, what is this? And the lady said, well, you know, if he did it, he could keep the outfit he wore, and we'd also pay him. My mom said he could do that. He could do that, yeah. <laughs> so now, how did you figure out getting into the into the movie business? Well, because at that time, and it's still kind of the way it still goes, is there weren't a lot of kids that were doing live TV. And at that time, most of the shows that were on TV, especially in the afternoons, were all live. Mm-hmm. And if they had a child that went out there and all of a sudden forgot their lines or got scared because there was an audience, because we were working of audiences of two and 300 people, and, you know, so... And that just didn't really bother me. I saw somebody else go out and do it, and I went, oh, that doesn't look hard. And I just went out and did it. So I started working on all sorts of the, you know, early 1950 shows that were live. I mean, live had to be so stressful, though. Not when you're a little kid because you don't know any better. It was just, you know, <laughs> man would say, okay, go out there. Remember those lines we did? This man's going to say the same thing that I just told you, and you just answer all those answers because you got them all right. So I just went out and did it, and then everybody clapped, and I was going, oh, this is easy. <laughs> well, that's, and you did a great job at it, so. Thank you very much. Well, and, you know, Leave it to Beaver was on, what, from 57 to what? like 63 right well it's been on since 57 for forever i mean it shows in about 48 languages all over the world and it plays that you know of course they're all reruns but it plays all over the united states a lot of times on early morning or you know late uh, late at night but it's all over the place well, it would be interesting to, to hear uh, the old Eddie Haskell in Chinese. Chinese, Japanese, <laughs> Look out. German, all sorts of languages. And, you know, a lot of it, because it was in 1957 that we started, a lot of it was the people's first look in those different foreign countries mm. of, uh, you know, how American children were growing up. So it was something that we didn't realize it at the time, but it was really kind of making the United States and the way we live to other countries all around the world. Yes, I mean, indeed. 
Indeed. And Alfred Hitchcock, I know you did one of his, uh, I guess it was kind of like a comedy back in uh, 55. Was he, he hadn't really jumped into the deep stuff yet, has he? No. He, well, I don't know if he had or not. I, I Honestly, I don't know. But you know, when I worked with him, it was kind. Of, it, it was definitely not a usual thing. I mean, mm-hmm. but uh, it had a lot of very dark parts to it. It was about a murder <laughs> so um, that I happened to witness as uh-huh. a small child. But he was just really nice, and he would sit me on his lap. I know I've learned as I became an older actor that he was kind of scary to a lot of people, but I would sit on his lap and do my lines. He'd say, oh, no, Jerry, say it just a little bit different. Say it this way. He'd, you know, do it whatever way he wanted it. I picked it right up, and that's why he and I got along so well. Wow. I mean, that's... I was about six times. And you look back on that, and you go... I mean, that was iconic, because at that time, you, you had no idea, I mean, who he was or what it was he was going to become, or even yourself, so it was like, this this is pretty cool stuff to look back on. It's really cool, and you know, at the time, I just thought, I'd worked in a lot of other things, and so it wasn't any big deal, you know, they'd come over and they'd run the lines, and I'd go out and say them, and he was just a really fun guy, and you know, he, he treated me very, very well, and I had a great time knowing him. I actually got to know him a lot better when I was doing the new Leave it to Beaver, mm-hmm. um, several years later, and he was doing Alfred Hitch. God presents and he'd be walking maybe to the commissary for lunch or whatever and he'd say oh hi Jerry come on over sit at my table so he was always a kind of a lifelong friend and a lot of people say oh no he's very scary he didn't scare me right <laughs> and I guess one of the, the factors I guess that, that, that kind of stood out of my mind you were like one of the first child actors I guess to ever have a deal made on his behalf to get a percentage of the merchandising revenue from a from a show like that I, I guess that wasn't uh, working that way back then no I, I guess it wasn't either but my mom and dad were just just saying, you know, if they're going to use my face and, you know, we had a lot, they had t-shirts, they had just all sorts of different things that they, you know, sent out to people. Mm -hmm. And so my mom and dad said, well, if Jerry's going to advertise it and a lot of them had my pictures on them, uh, then he should get something. So it wasn't a great deal of money. I mean, we're not talking, you know, (laughs) very, very small amounts of money, but it was better than nothing. And and you have, you have merch uh, that you have available now, correct? Oh, we have all sorts of things. We have t-shirts. We have, you know, just a lot of fun things. It's it's Jerry Mathers, Beaver, merch.com. Oh, interesting. Okay. Now, when, when did you, I noticed, I saw on your the, the website, uh, it's jerrymathers.com, that you had, you released the t-shirt, and I guess you have a, kind of like the hat that you used to wear, or the style of Right, the, the green hat that I used to wear. Yeah. We also have uh, autographed baseballs, a t-shirt, photos, a lot of people are just looking for a photo, mm-hmm. and also kind of like a winter hat um, with my autograph on it. It's a knit, uh, embroidered hat, but it, and also uh, the green hat that I wore on the show. Uh, it's, obviously, you won't get the one I wore on the show, but it's the mm-hmm. same one. And it's embroidered with my name and beaver under it. Okay. It's also a T-shirt with a picture on the front, and that one's autographed. Now, are you going to have those available at Comic-Con coming up? A few of those things, okay. but it's, you know, it's pretty hard to get them all on the table. <laughs> have to, you know, because yeah. you never really know how many you're going to sell. So well, yeah. uh, the pictures I'll definitely have, but some of the other things... You would have to go to my website, which really isn't that much harder. Yeah, totally makes sense. And you know, I was looking at these things, and uh, uh, you still look the same as you did back then. Oh, I wish that was the case, <laughs> but yeah, I feel really good, and I've always taken very good care of myself. And even when I was doing Leave It to Beaver, they didn't want me just to sit around the set. So you know, between the scenes, we'd go out and play baseball, and I play it, but throw baseballs back and forth during football season. So you know, I just had a very charmed life, and. It's something I'm very, very proud of, and I'm just so happy that I had the part of the beaver. With stay in that, as far as you know, looks and things like that, it's amazing how face recognition, it you, that you, how well you're known. If you walk down the street, people go, he, you know, he looks like the beaver, you know, that kind of thing, because you just have that kind of look. So that that's got to be impressive. I don't know how impressive, but it's very, very true. <laughs> but you know, it's always fun because that means they're a fan and they've seen the show, and they'll come up and they'll say, you know, I especially like that one, and I. I don't mind talking about it, and I'll say, oh, you know what happened on that show or whatever? Yeah. So it, it's just a really nice you know, rapport that I have with all my fans. Yeah. And, you know, there's very, very few people that can find anything really wrong with Leave it to Beaver. It's a great show still that kids can watch and adults don't mind watching it. It's not something that you say if you're an adult, oh, I can't stand that show because mm-hmm. you can you can look at it from June and Ward's point of view. Absolutely. Well, and, and it's it, it had I such a... Three generations. 
Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, you look back on a show like that and and the longevity that it has. And, of course, it's still being played today. You can still find it in these shows. And it just it's kind of like a timeless thing. Well, you know, and the, and the interesting part for me is something I'm very proud of. It plays all over the world. So mm-hmm. you can go to places where they don't speak English. And I have a little girl that, that gets deaf <laughs> my voice. And it's just all over the world. And a lot of places, especially in the 50s and 60s, it it showed the American family to people that really didn't know how Americans live. And, and and then the fact you had the new Leave it to Beaver come out, and you did, what, 108 episodes, I think, of that uh, show. And that was really fun for me, because then I got to do the Hugh Beaumont part, or Ward, <laughs> and it was just really fun to go back, and we got a lot of not only the original cast back, but even the crews that we had. And, you know, it's a show that's now streaming two all over so it's something that's just really fun and i made a lot of great friends and still i do autograph shows and meet people and it's just a lot of fun and folks we're talking with jerry mathers and known as beaver from leave it to beaver and he's going to be at gallatin comic-con coming up here november 19th and 20th and it's just going to be a great kind of leave it to beaver reunion it's going to be a great time and i guess a question some people might ask you and i'm sure you've heard this question many times how did you get the name beaver you know, they never said, I have no idea. I, <laughs> I, I even asked them a couple of times. They said, well, I don't know. It just sounded like a good name. We, we went to a, a book and looked at all sorts of names, and that just sounded like a good name. Now, that doesn't seem very much like it really happened, but that's what they said. Well, and, it, and it, how it goes with Beaver Cleaver. You know, it just has a has a kind of a rhyme to it. Well, maybe that's what happened. There got you go. It <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, I love that. And but I got to tell you, the show was on, you know, for so many years and made such an impact in everybody's lives. I, I remember watching it constantly, and it was just one of those things you did back then, and in, in black and white. Well, you know, the thing is, it's still playing in black and white all over the United States. But one of the things that's really interesting about it is it played in all sorts of different languages all over the world. And in a lot of places, that was the first time people saw what an American life was like for a child. Mm, Wow. Was there any attempts ever to colorize it? No, it started in black and white, and that's what they just kept it in the whole time. And, uh, you know, no one ever thought anything about it at that time. Color TV was in, but it really wasn't, uh, you know, not everybody had one, so... It was a lot cheaper, the film, to film it in uh, black and white, so that's what they just kept doing. Well, listen, we're, we're going to be at the Gallatin Comic-Con Broadcasting Live, so I can't wait to uh, kind of meet you in person. It's going to be a great event. I know Chris is uh, so excited to have you back, and I know that there's not many of these uh, shows that you're going to be doing, so it, it's kind of honorable that you're coming back to Gallatin to, to handle the show. Sure. I mean, you know, I'll be doing autographs and, uh, you know, saying hi to people, and they want they can take pictures and things like that so we're going to have a good time i always like going there and uh it's something I always look forward to. I'm glad to be able to be back. Hey, you know one of the things that I found out about you that I think most people don't know, but... You, oh, wait a minute. What is it? <laughs> oh, I heard it from a birdie that you're actually uh, a radio broadcaster. I have a, uh, I had my own show for um, probably four years, and it was a lot of fun. But yes, I have all the, all the right papers to be able to go in and walk into a radio station. When I was doing it, I was working from nine till midnight, and I was all by myself, so I am a completely trained a radio person. There you go. Hey, listen, we'll, we'll team you up with Ryan Seacrest. You guys would be a great team. Sounds good to me. <laughs> I like Ryan. <laughs> All right, talking with Jerry Mathers, Gallatin Comic Con coming up here November 19th and 20th, and you can get your tickets there. And, you know, in the last segment, we talked with Chris Dyer. I got to tell you, he is so excited to, to see you again and kind of just relive some memories, and we can't wait to meet you. And, and thank you so much for taking time to come out and visit with us today. Oh, my pleasure. It was nice talking with you, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're talking with Jerry Mathers, uh, Leave it to Beaver fame, and he's going to be at Gallatin Comic Con. So that's going to wrap it up for this segment of Sumner County Spotlight. We'll check you next time. So long. Sumner County Spotlight will return next Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Thanks for listening.